Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Big weekend of sports action here in the Northwest. There's only one show that's going to get you set for it all. That's right, Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. He is Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers and, and Taylor Mariners baseball's back. We've seen a couple of big moves the Seahawks made this week. We've also got some Final Four intrigue today with Gonzaga taking on UCLA. Shout out to the West Coast, the best coast, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, oh man, I, I said I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. This time of year, uh, definitely not short on storylines. Definitely not short on headlines. A uh, lot of fun to get to in these next two hours as uh, spring is here. And, uh, I mean, what better way to do it than uh, to talk about it here for the next two hours? Oh, Curtis, I'm so excited. And you and I got to sit up there at T-Mobile Park and take in the uh, the sights and the sounds before the game. And um, it was almost emotional. It was like getting back and things starting to return to normal and just to feel that sports feeling again that we all love to be at a ballpark to be at a stadium to be at an arena together with fans with a common likeness team a sport anything really just to to be there right so and then on top of that what a game to open the season for the mariners and then you got college basketball at the end here you got an all pac 12 final on the women's side of things you got a pac 12 uh, con- uh i guess the contestant i don't know i guess the contributor someone representative in the uh, in the men's side going um up against the zags tonight so yeah and then of course the seahawks news with tyler lockett happening this week as well kind of surprising everyone so big week Again, this is when people think it's slow. It's really there's a lot of sports action going just because there's no football doesn't mean there's no sports action and there's plenty of even football news to talk about. So I'm excited to be here on another Saturday talking with you, talking with Seattle, talking sports, and uh, it's going to be a fun two hours. It is. It absolutely is. Text into the text line seven ten seven ten. If you were at the ballpark at all over the last two nights, just what it was like being there after so long away from live sports, uh, you know, being played in person here in the city of Seattle. Uh, text that in seven ten seven ten. If you were there, just your your thoughts and observations, the sights, the sounds, the woo girl uh, in the audience oh. there. Back to back nights. Oh. She was there last night too, Taylor. How? How? Oh, my gosh. And it's not even like a Ric Flair woo. You know what I mean? That would be acceptable. It's like this just, I I don't even want to do it. I don't even want to bring it back into your eardrums, into your forefront of your mind. Just, I would like that to be no more, please. Yeah. uh, I mean, just, uh, it helped in, in the opener. I'm probably not so much last night, but hey. The Mariners 1-1 one one after two games to start the 2021 season. Series finale is today later on on 710 ESPN Seattle. Uh, but before we get to that, we got to get to the two hours before us here on Seattle Sports Saturday. And as we do each and every week, we start off with the big three. Number one. Well, we mentioned it there. Opening day for the Mariners season. Baseball is back. Fans are back and they're 
there to see it all happen from opening the gates, which 710 gave you the opportunity to do, to the comeback, walk off walk in the 10th inning. It was a magical evening here in Seattle on Thursday. The Mariners trailed 6 1, came back to win 8 7, overcoming that five run deficit made for the largest ever comeback on opening day in franchise history. The man who helped it happen, Jake Fraley, walked with the bases loaded, bottom of the 10th, giving the Mariners that win, and it was Fraley's third walk of the game. So great to see that sort of veteran poise game one of the season to sit up there, to take those pitches, to get on base. You can tell that this team, even from years past, has this different feel about them. Yes, they lost last night, but... Kikuchi again on the mound dealing. We'll get into a little bit more specifics on the Mariners here coming up a little bit later. But in front of 8,000 plus fans at home, 550 days since fans were allowed in T-Mobile Park to watch their team play due to the COVID pandemic. Great feelings all around. Great feelings all around. It's great to talk about some wins, some bright spots going forward, and we'll do that coming up in this hour. Number two. Still undefeated, still largely unchallenged, and now just two steps away from immortality. That's where we find the number one ranking Zaga Bulldogs as they get set for their second ever Final Four in program history. Many thought the Elite Eight was going to be their toughest test yet in the form of USC, but they quickly moved past the Trojans and likely top draft pick Evan Mobley wasn't even close. Of their 30 wins this season, get this stat, 29 have been by double digits, including every single NCAA tournament game so far. All that stands in the way of the Zags' second-ever title game berth. That'd be those plucky underdogs, the the team that's never been there before, that'd be 11-time champion UCLA. But they are the number 11 seed this year. They're Cinderella. So can they exercise some 15-year-old demons? Let's let's take you back to 2006. Adam Morrison in tears following J.P. Batista's heave at the buzzer, a collapse unlike any other. That's what's on the line today between Gonzaga and UCLA. We will find out in the nightcap tonight with tip-off scheduled for around 5.30 p.m. on CBS. Number three. Well, Tyler Lockett got a surprise contract extension and not a surprise from his play, a surprise that no one really saw it coming and no one really was talking about it before it happened. But the star wide receiver getting a record, or not a record-setting deal. He gets the deal after the record-setting year per Adam Schefter. The Seahawks and Lockett have agreed on a four-year contract extension worth up to $69.2 million. Pretty nice. Including $37 million guaranteed at $17.3 million per year. Over those four years, the reported extension would put Lockett at number 10 for wide receiver contracts in the NFL when it comes to average salary. And I'd say and I I'd say the city of Seattle would agree with me that Lockett plays like a top 10 receiver. He may not look and he may not be, you know, advertised like a top 10 receiver but when he's out on the field, he plays like it. Now with this deal and the reported terms of this deal, could this mean that the Seahawks now are turning their attentions to all-pro safety Jamal Adams? entering the last year of his deal could they be working on an extension for him as well try and get some of these pieces these core pieces locked up before the season starts and before the draft as well because 
With only three picks, they're going to have to do some maneuvering, most likely trading back and, and trying to acquire more picks because uh, they're going to need more than three, Curtis. They're going to need more than three. I would hope they, they trade back and get some picks here. We'll talk about that later on in this hour here on Seattle Sports Saturday, but that was this hour's big three. Some honorable mentions. The transfer portal working overtime here in the Northwest, not just in college basketball as we've seen with the Huskies, but also college football. A pair of Husky wide receivers enter the portal yesterday. That makes five former UW wide receivers entering the transfer portal this offseason. Uh, that's, I mean... None of those guys really stood out as as potential starters, but based off of how the Huskies' offense has been over the last couple of years, maybe a little bit concerning seeing that many skill position guys say, you know what, I'm going to look elsewhere. Yeah, and I think it sort of shows you how this and where this offense is moving for the dogs there on Montlake and if I'm a Husky fan, I'm a little bit worried that, uh, you know, some five former receivers entering the portal. So it, it, it's a staggering number. Weird things are happening on Montlake right now. So the dogs, football and basketball, needs to get right back onto whatever track they were before this because things seem strange down there by the water. Yeah, wide receivers Marquis Spiker and Austin Osborne, the fourth and fifth receivers to enter the portal. Uh, speaking of the portal, basketball side of things, Hamir Wright becoming the sixth basketball player to enter the transfer portal. Uh, that I, I don't think there are any more players expected to transfer this offseason. Percy Allen of the Seattle Times about a week or so ago had said he expects around six to enter the portal. We're at six now. Who knows if there's anybody else uh, coming down the pipe. And then also the Cougs with a big contributor entering the transfer portal. That would be defensive back Aiden Hector, who has had a bit of controversy following wherever he's gone, uh, you know, with Stanford revoking their scholarship to him, uh, involved in a police investigation when he was in high school, and then also uh, being arrested for, I believe, underage uh, drinking in Pullman there. Uh, just, you know, a few bad choices in a row. He's looking for another opportunity right now. Don't know where that's going to look like, but uh, not the only Coug right now kind of dealing with some off-the-field issues. Jaden Delora, starting quarterback last year, he's also suspended uh, right now. So the Cougs dealing with their own issues. It's not just stuff going on at UW. Uh, both programs right now kind of in a in a holding pattern, as it were. Yeah, weird times, and uh, yeah, for the Cougs, some not good stuff to lose two big, um, you know, cornerstones on either side of the ball. So, um, look, if the Pac-12 wants to get back, they're going to need teams like UW and Wazoo to be a little bit more competitive, and these things don't, you know, from the surface level, don't make them more competitive heading into next year. So not not what you want to see if you're a fan of Pac-12 football of either of these teams, which I'd, I'd guesstimate a mass, <laughs> a vast majority of you are. But uh, it isn't all bad for the Huskies, at least, as far as the football program those goes, because one future guy, Curtis, had, had a, a nice little uh, record-setting uh, career. Yeah, slinging Sammy Heward there, who is going to have the weight of the world pretty much on his shoulders once he enrolls at UW. 
uh, becoming the state's all-time leader in passing yards uh, among high school players. He was slinging it for Kennedy the last four years. Uh, he is now, I believe he is at UW after finishing up his high school career uh, just a, about a week or so ago in a victory over Kentwood. Anybody that beats Kentwood is great in my eyes. So shout out to Sam Heward and Kennedy for for uh, taking it to him right there. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to seeing this guy behind center. He comes from, I look, a historic football family here in this area. Everyone knows about the Heward family and... You know, between the shoulders, he's going to be as good as you can be. And his dad and his uncle and his whole and his grandpa, his whole family has helped him be prepared for this moment. And he will have the weight of the the whole community on his shoulders. But again, I think if someone is able to handle it, you know, he is one of those people. And I'm a kook fan, but I'm both looking forward to seeing what he can do under Sender, and I'm absolutely not looking forward one week every single season, most likely for the next three, four years, to what this guy can do under Sender. So I mean that in the best possible, highest regard. Of course. Uh, we'll get into more Pac-12 conversation later on in this hour, especially with the runs we're seeing from both the men's and women's side of the NCAA tournament. Can they spring this forward and Uh, continue this level of success across all sports. But up next, Tyler Lockett, he is here to stay for at least the next four seasons. So what is the impact of his extension, not just four years from now, but on this offseason for the Seahawks? We get into that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. It kind of came out of nowhere, really, this week. Tyler Lockett's extension with the Seahawks, four years, $69.2 million. A nice extension for him. About, what, $37 million of it guaranteed. He is paying for everybody's meals over the next couple of weeks uh, as he signs that lucrative extension for himself. Frees up some cap space, too, for the Seahawks they can use in the immediacy. And... Taylor, I, I don't think this is the end of it for the extensions or, or the restructures or, or what have you, simply because of how little the Seahawks have right now in draft capital. I think the, the route they are going to take this offseason is going to be a stark contrast from what we've seen in years past with this front office, that they've emphasized the draft. They've emphasized you know, having, quote-unquote, bites at the apple. How many times have you heard people <laughs> covering the Seahawks or just, you know, John Schneider and Pete Carroll themselves say those words. It's it's almost, you know, that's just how that op- organization operates. But with the uncertainty in college football last year, just the lack of, I guess, available game film on so many players, do you get the sense that the Seahawks are leaning towards free agency and how they're going to round out this 2021 roster rather than the draft because you look at the veterans available for a trade on this Seahawks roster well Tyler Lockett's not one of them now and now it's kind of like you you know Jaron Reed's not there it kind of leaves Bobby Wagner is maybe the most likely candidate but I don't see him getting moved either where do you think the Seahawks go from here Look, I I think you nailed it right there. I think that they are prioritizing that cap flexibility above the draft capital, which is a shift. We know, like you just said, it's a big shift, but I think it's the right move. Look how close this team was. A couple bad plays in that Rams game, 
you're talking about a 12-win team. You want to solidify the core of that team, right? You want to make sure those pillars are still there for years to come so that you can build around it. In And in this year, Curtis, you, and you, you nailed it twice in the, in the question by itself, it's been the weirdest college football season maybe ever. What's real? What's fake? These pro days, there's no combine, so these pro days are so controlled. You know, what are you really learning in these pro days? Is is this draft going to be built on a lot of hype? Is there a lot of substance, substance in this draft with scouts not being able to go and really invest a lot of time in getting to know these players and, uh, you know, their entire repertoire? So... Yes, I think it's been a shift for the Seahawks, but I think it's the right shift and it's coming at, you know, unfortunately and fortunately, the right time for them to make this sort of pivot, this turn, the plant-based turn as as Pete likes to call oh, it. Of course, always about the turn with this Seahawks organization. When you look at at just where the Seahawks are in that turn right now, do you think cap flexibility has become more important than draft picks. Do you think that that is more valuable right now in 2021 than maybe two or three years down the road when the salary cap, you know, starts to open up a little bit more? We saw the massive TV deal that the NFL just signed. That's going to pay huge dividends in terms of spending money for these teams, just kind of like how we saw in the NBA a few years ago where the salary cap just ballooned out of nowhere and you've got superstars joining superstars teams, you know, with tons of of added space. Now they can go out and use it. Do you think cap space with the shrinking cap this year is more important than maybe having as many draft picks as possible at your disposal? Yeah, because look, 182.5 million is the hard cap for the NFL down from 198.2. So you're already losing that $16 million right there. And that's a big contract. That's a big time player, if you think about it, uh, or a couple really good role players on your, on your roster. So that cap space has become so pivotal in trying to work around the limits. Because for the next couple of years, it's going to take a little bit of time for that NFL or that TV money with the new deals to kick in. But I mean, by 2023, when the Amazon deal is fully ramped up, you should expect the cap to be over 200 million. You know what I mean? And back up 18 million more. Then you're talking about adding a couple more players or, or paying people a little bit more down the line. So this sort of math negotiating and these sort of um, positioning and posturing that's taking place right now is not only good for this year, but for the next few years until it sort of swings back to, okay, teams have those, that cap space capital. Now draft picks are really, you know, that control is where you need to find people. We're still about, I'd say, two, three years away from that happening. But what do you think, Curtis? Do you think that draft picks are less important now than they were a few years ago? I, I don't know if less important is the right wording because we've seen the kind of spending it can open up when you hit on a draft pick and you're paying them a rookie wage scale salary. For example, the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes on his rookie deal. Uh, the Eagles going to a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz on his rookie deal. 
obviously Wentz was hurt that year, but they still were able to round out that team much more effectively because their quarterback was on a rookie deal. That's why the 49ers, we saw them make a leap up to number four or number three overall because it beats the heck out of having to pay Jimmy Garoppolo his, you know, massive salary and, and to get, you know, just middling to good production out of him. I, I don't necessarily think that you know, draft picks are in are just you know kind of worthless at this point because if you can find those gems that produce above you know where they're picked, that sets you up in a big way to spend more in free agency. But kind of like you said, this year's draft may be the most up in the air of any we've ever seen, and that includes last year where you know even though they weren't allowed to meet in person, there was still an NFL combine. They still had that shortly before everything shut down a year ago. This year, that's not the case. That will not happen. It'll simply be these pro days where a lot of these players get some very favorable you know, measurements, very favorable timings because it's their own coaching staff that's doing you know, all the results. They're going to try and make their players look as good as possible. Um, just kind of looking at what the Seahawks... This, you know, this conversation is mostly what the Seahawks could do over the next couple of weeks based off of the Tyler Lockett extension. But let's look at what the Seahawks have done so far this offseason. Extending Tyler Lockett, bringing in Gerald Everett, trading for Gabe Jackson. Uh, you know, three big moves on the offensive side of the ball, Taylor. Also, re-signing Chris Carson as well to that team-friendly deal. The big story of, of the early offseason is Russell Wilson, obviously. Have they done enough over the last couple of weeks in free agency and just with restructuring guys, extending guys? Do you think they've done enough right now to this point, and there's still a lot left in this offseason, to satisfy Russell Wilson? I'll say this. It better be, Curtis. I don't know what else, what what more he could truly get or ask for from a team that won 12 games last year to keep improving, you know, with all of the the players around him to keep adding more. So to me, this was perfect. Uh, I mean, as perfect as you possibly could do in the NFL with all the, the, the circumstances around free agency, but to, to get another solid interior offensive lineman, I think was very important to get done. Gabe Jackson coming here. We've heard from Ray about what those two interior guards can do to help that center position. Chris Carson, they've they've talked about it for years and years, how they love 32 and they want to feed him and how he reminds Pete Carroll of another 32 and that they, they want to make that a big, you know, part of their offense. So bring Chris Carson back. You extend Tyler Lockett, one of his trusted receivers, his his safety blanket. Oh, and you add another safety blanket with Gerald Everett, who Shane Waldron is completely comfortable drawing up plays to to get him open in positions like that for Russell. So to me, you go down the checklist and then things to come, Curtis. The Jamal Adams deal is still on the horizon, most likely. KJ Wright, we know he's in negotiations with other teams, but it looks like the market for him trended towards being more favorable to the Seahawks and, and bringing him back because it feels like the longer they go, the better a, a chance that he might end up back in Seattle on a, on a friendly deal that makes both both sides happy. So they're not done. 
And they're still able to look back and say, we can be proud of the things we've accomplished so far this offseason. Or at least if I was Russell Wilson and they had done these things for me, I'd be feeling pretty good about myself. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that there's a lot that he can complain about after these moves because when I look at the face value of the Seahawks right now compared to where they were at the end of their playoff game against the L.A. Rams, this offense is better than what it was. And you bring in Shane Waldron, somebody who uh, you know may have the key to unlocking everything on this offense next year. I don't know how Russ can be dissatisfied with how the Seahawks have gone about their, you know, building on the offensive side of the ball. I think what remains to be seen is just putting it out all on the field. Will Russ be happy with the protection he gets? Uh, you know, you hope so. I can't imagine it's it'll be worse because you're bringing back essentially the same offensive line and you're upgrading at the guard position. You take Mike Yupati out, you bring in Gabe Jackson, who's a much better player. Can't I, I have a hard time seeing it being something that Russ would be dissatisfied with. Hopefully that's the case. You know, we we, need, we don't know what he's thinking. We never know what he's thinking, but hopefully things are much more smooth now. But coming up next, baseball is back here in the Northwest. It's back across the country. Some early returns on the Mariners after two nights of action. We get into that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in this hour, can the Pac-12 capitalize on their successful basketball runs, not just in the men's tournament, but also in the women's tournament as well? Three of the eight final four, well, you've got yeah, on both sides of the bracket, there's eight teams left in the final four, three of those from the Conference of Champions. Can they spin that forward here over the next couple of months, years, however long it's going to take to get this conference back to where it was? That's coming up in about 10, 15 minutes from now. But Taylor, opening day was on Thursday night. Mariners with the huge come-from-behind victory, getting six runs in the eighth inning and then winning it in extra innings thanks to that walk-off walk by Jake Fraley. Last night, not uh, not so good for the Mariners as they blow a 3-1 lead and lose it 6-3 to the San Francisco Giants. But they're 1-1 over two games. You're going to take your lumps over the course of a baseball season. But... We're two games into it. The Mariners, I think, have had a couple of impressive performances out there. From what you've seen over the first two nights, what has you most encouraged uh, about the Mariners' 2021 season? I mentioned it earlier, the poise. There's just a different sort of air around this team that when they walk out there, it feels like a veteran ball club, and and they're – a bunch of young guys, right? And they're a bunch of young people and they're still not even fully immersed with the, the youth that is coming up through the farm system. So it it felt like they just had everything handled. They knew, look, they were down and gave up those runs early in the game. And to be down by that deficit, to keep fighting game one, right? It's easy to be like, all right, it's game one, mail it in. Let's pack it up, save it, don't burn the bullpen, don't do anything crazy like that. And they were able to do that and win the game. So to me, to see them go out there and accomplish that, yes, against a team like the Giants, it's not saying a ton, but still, game one. And then last night, uh, 
Kikuchi, Brandon Gustafson, just tweeting this out, too, about how Kikuchi was dealing last night. Yeah, he gave up a couple of those homers, but he was on. He was finding the strike zone. He looked like he had all the, the command on all of his pitches. Again, the poise, the presence, these veteran-type uh, attributes, you're seeing it from this young team in two games so far. So... Those are the things I'd love to see continue in this season. And, yes, they're going to win games. They're going to lose games. They're going to go on win streaks. They're going to go on lose streaks. And to be honest, this is still the season that they're okay. it's okay if they lose a lot of games. If anything, it might actually be preferred so they can add one last pick before they make this true push. But to me, Curtis, the, the poise from this Mariners team has truly been refreshing in two games you know, 19 innings of baseball so far. Uh, That's what I can say. But what about you? What's jumping out? You're a baseball guy. You've been a fan of this team for so long. What are some of the things that have felt different in two games than maybe some seasons prior? Well, I think that you mentioned a little bit there, the standout performance from Issei Kikuchi last night, the 10 strikeouts. And uh, to me, I don't worry so much about pitchers allowing home runs as I would maybe you know five, ten, fifteen years ago or whatever. Just because home runs are such a a vital part of how offenses get their their juice going throughout the game. You know, solo home runs are are a big big thing in in today's you know game. We're seeing record numbers of of home runs hit each and every season. It seems like that just kind of builds. So. The fact that you know he did allow a couple long balls last night, not ideal, but you know he only allowed three runs in six innings and striking out ten. I mean, we kind of pointed to Yusei Kikuchi all off season as a guy under an immense amount of pressure because his his long term future in Major League Baseball is heavily dependent on this season. The Mariners can exercise that four year team option on him this year, or he can pick up a one year player option. Uh, so you know. You say his long-term earning potential is heavily dependent on how he does this season. You couldn't ask for really a much better start to his season than last night, a career-high 10 strikeouts and just six innings of work. Uh, another guy to me that is impressed that I was a little surprised by is Jake Fraley, who's shown a, a great amount of patience, obviously getting that walk-off walk, three walks in the opener. Uh, you know, For somebody that didn't have a great start to his spring training, he turned it on at the end of the Cactus League, and that's kind of, uh, you know, that's shown a little bit here in the first couple of games of the 2021 season. And then also Ty France. I think Ty France is going to be a huge contributor yes. to to what we see here in this season. But I, I, I caution Mariners fans right now to, you know, against making sweeping generalizations about this team through the first two games because this roster is going to look so much different at the end of the year from what it is right now. You're, you don't even have Kyle Lewis in the lineup right now, who was the rookie of the year last year. Jared Kelnick's going to be up at some point. Logan Gilbert's going to be in the rotation at some point this season. This team on April 3rd at 11.39 a.m. is nowhere near what it's going to be in August and September of this season. And that gets me – I think that gets me the most hype for what this year could possibly be. Yeah, I mean – they're establishing what Mariner baseball will look like. And yes, the roster may look different, but if this is the attitude service is going to manage his guys with, then this is what you want. This is what you want to see from a team, any sort of team, baseball, basketball, football, the fight, 
to go out there to keep pushing to 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 find new ways to succeed to find ways to to succeed despite some of your failures those are the things that will ultimately shape the culture of this baseball team and this club and this organization from the top through the farm system so that the lifeblood of this this team that the the youth will truly reflect what they want this team to be so I think you nailed it right there, Curtis, that the, there's so much to look forward to, and yet you don't need to buy into too much right now about what these players specifically are doing because they're building, again, the culture, the attitude, the presence of this Mariners team. They are. They absolutely are. And these are the you know the foundational pieces of what the Mariners are going to hope is a, a championship caliber ball club within the next few seasons. And I mean, there's nothing that we've seen throughout the course of the rebuild that has shown the Mariners to be on a, a slower trajectory than the front office had, had pointed us to, because I mean, obviously the pandemic set everybody back in baseball. It wasn't just the Mariners that, you know, maybe starting 2021 would look a little different if, if 2020 had been a normal season, but this is a team that is going to have plenty of opportunity this year to kind of establish itself and, and maybe make some additions here rather than subtracting guys and, and you know playing that that you know gambling game of let's trade this veteran get three or four prospects in here and hope that maybe one or two of them actually hits i mean it at some point you're going to have to add and I think the Mariners definitely pointing themselves in that direction over the next offseason, especially with how few contracts they have on the books right now and how how tantalizing that uh, free agent market is going to be. We we saw a big name uh, this week. You know, he won't be on the free agent market, Francisco Lindor, but that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be other guys available to spend on. Yeah, that's a great point, Curtis. And again, just the foundation. This is building. This is what you want to see from a team that tells you they're rebuilding. These are the moves. These are the actions. These are the games you want to be seeing from your team. But we're burying the lead. We're burying the real crux, the real juicy question that everyone, I'm assuming everyone on the text line, 710-710, wants to know. When you sit there in the ballpark for the first game, because we were there, but we didn't really get to see the game. We had to work. What are you going to be eating? What's the first thing you're buying at the ballpark when you go back to T-Mobile Park? And text us, 710-710. What's the first thing you're getting when you walk in? Where are you heading? I've been on this hype train all off season, really the last 550 days, as it were, uh, as they put it so eloquently in Mariners pregame on Thursday night, but I'm all about the helmet nachos. I love me some helmet nachos. They they pour that cheese sauce, they drizzle it on. You get the like beans and salsa and like pulled pork on there. Oh my goodness, it's it's an experience unlike any other. I am all about the helmet helmet nachos. If the Mariners want to send some over to the studio, go right ahead. I'll I'll gladly. Uh, you know, have a, a helmet nacho while I'm, you know, doing my job there. What it, What is your uh, first thing that you're going for at the concession stands? I'm going dog. I'm going to the kiosk that has the dogs and the pretzels, so I can get both at the same time because I love love having a pretzel, a little mustard, hot dog, some mustard, onion, ketchup, maybe a little relish if I'm feeling spicy. Um, 
Wow. Yeah, those are just and then yeah, just the 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 smells, the tastes of the ballpark, but there's such great food at, at T-Mobile Park and I can't wait. People are already texting in the 971 talking about opening night and how cool it was to be back at the ballpark. If you were there, text in, let us know. If you're going and you're looking forward to eating something beforehand, during, after, maybe you're grabbing the two for three dogs on your way home or some uh, kettle corn for the for later in the week, let us know. Text it in. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the drawbacks of this show is that we're on the air around lunchtime. And when we're talking oh, I know. ballpark food, my my tummy is uh, is feeling it right now. Uh, oh, geez. Well, <laughs> good thing it's we're heading to a commercial break. Yeah, good thing. Good thing. But coming up in this hour, we still got some Pac-12 uh, returns here from the NCAA tournament on the men's and women's side. How can they spring the success we've seen from them over the last couple of weeks forward? We get into that question next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. A lot of fun stuff for you on the way here on Seattle Sports Saturday in the second hour. Obviously, we're going to take you around the NFL for some of the biggest headlines we saw this week. And then get you set for tonight's Final Four matchups. Gonzaga, UCLA, Baylor, and Houston. Gonzaga, UCLA in the nightcap of tonight's Final Four. And Taylor, I mean, it has been a a wild ride here in the NCAA tournament for both the men's and women's bracket. And the Pac-12, unbelievably, sort of the last conference standing, as it were. And I don't think anybody out there could have predicted that unless your name is Bill Walton who predicted five Pac-12 teams in his final four which you know still hard to see that math but I respect the uh, I respect the effort in so much how do they spin this forward though because it's one thing to have a great tournament on both you know in both brackets but to put the Pac-12 back onto the level of which we're accustomed to, what we grew up with here on the West Coast. How does this get, you know, in motion over the next couple of months, years? How does how do we get from point A where we're at right now to back amongst the elite conferences out there? I think it starts with recruiting and putting the emphasis uh, on those resources into recruiting and how the Pac-12 as a conference is going to help their schools, the 12 schools, go out and be competitive in the recruiting scene. Now, look, things are going to change rapidly, even in the next year to two years, especially with um, likeness player likeness and what states are allowing players to make money on that, what states aren't. Is there any way to work around that, to work with it right in your recruiting process? So the Pac-12 is going to need, first and foremost, and we'll get into this in a second here, but they need someone up top who cares about the athletics and what they do for this conference. Find someone to champion the Pac-12 and their schools and to go out and help them recruit and be competitive in their sports, not just men's basketball and football. Women's basketball, softball, soccer. I'm talking about everything. They need to be more competitive and need to remind everyone that they are the Conference of Champions and that a lot of those championships come here and stay here and that those programs 
need those resources to be successful. So get the person up top who wants to funnel those resources into the athletics, into the success of those athletic programs. I think you got to start there and, 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 and do it quickly because look, you got to capitalize on this momentum right now. The money will come in. It'll trickle into the system soon, but the momentum, the eyes, the exposure, the UCLA, Gonzaga, West coast matchup. It's cool. All of those things are going to come into play here. And even for schools like Oregon state who made this run, how can they be more successful in basketball and build on some of that? Those questions need to be answered with resources. So that, that, that's where I would put my sort of um, focus. What about you, Curtis? Where do you think the PAC 12 should hone in? I think getting as many eyes as possible on the conference, whether it be through digital platforms or through, you know, your just standard cable TV deals with Fox and ESPN and all that. There are plenty of options available, you know, in terms of digital, whether it be Amazon or Apple TV or something like that. All these all these big companies are have a West Coast base, too, and that is in your footprint. And the Pac-12 needs to take advantage of that. Get get a unique way of, or negotiate a unique TV deal here over the next couple of years when this one is up so that you can capitalize on being in as many homes as possible at, at better times throughout the day. Uh, heck, even in the NCAA tournament, Oregon and USC, that Sweet 16 matchup, that game tipped off at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you know, a lot of people on the East Coast not staying up to watch, you know, a two West Coast teams. Sorry, that's just how it is out here on the West Coast. I think to me that is going to be the most important thing. And you look at just the, the sheer numbers that the Pac-12 is raking in from this tournament run, uh, just the success of it. It's one of the most, one of the most successful runs we've ever seen from a single conference in terms of revenue generated. Uh, John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News points out that the Pac-12 will collect roughly forty million dollars over the next six-year payout cycle from their 2021 men's NCAA tournament performance, the second best cash haul by a conference in tournament history. This is this is actually a historic run from the conference, which is unbelievable here. And that money is going to be evenly distributed to the 12 conference members. So just because UCLA is the one doing the biggest amount of legwork here doesn't mean that they're going to be the team that benefits the most from it. We're going to see, you know, Wazoo and Oregon State, you know, all these other schools, Cal, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, ASU, all those schools they're going to benefit from this as well. And, hey, $40 million over a six-year period, not too shabby. It beats the heck out of a couple of years ago where I think it was just Arizona was the only team to make it to the first round of the NCAA tournament. They had a couple teams lose in the first four. Uh, things are, are, are moving in the right direction. There might be a couple of guys pointed out this week by CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd that could continue this ball uh, moving forward and, and continuing to gain more momentum. Yeah, and uh, Dennis Dodd mentioning Gene Smith, Oliver Luck, uh, Paul Radovich, Radita, sorry, Radakovich, sorry. Uh, Radakovich, um, yeah. Radakovich, I know. I, I, I misread that. That's on me. Um, so... Again, three candidates, all very reasonable, all, again, at this point, there's no one in charge, Curtis, and look what just happened. So it goes in the order of, of effectiveness, 
In the negative region, we have Larry Scott, who brings the conference down. We have no one who allows that allowed UCLA to make the final four. We got an all women's Pac-12 championship in the basketball side of things. So that's what no one will get you. Imagine what any of these three (laughs) candidates could bring to the table. That's what we're talking about here. And that's where it's been rough to be a Pac-12 fan. I think uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Curtis is an Arizona fan. I'm a Wazoo fan. There's UW fans, Oregon fans, Beeve fans, all the fans here listening right now. We've all been through this struggle. But this is where we put our swords down. We unite against Thanos, the Larry Scott. We come together (laughs) and we end this game in the real end game, which ends up with a Pac-12 back where it belongs as the Conference of Champions and helping to push college athletics forward as it has been for years and years and years. Absolutely. And, I mean, you bring up the women's side of the bracket. I think we all know who I'm going to be shouting out later today at 1245. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any uh, surprises there based off of what happened last night. But I mean, I can't remember a time in the last decade where I have felt this much, I guess, relief as to where the conference can go, or at least this much anticipation as to where the conference can go just because it, it, it came from such a bad place over the last decade under Larry Scott, and now that is behind us. We're we're you know seeing so much great competition out there over the last what three four weeks here. There is momentum here. Capitalizing on it is something the Pac-12 absolutely has to do. Coming up in the next hour, we'll get you a big three to start off the hour. Some more Final Four previews. Also, plenty of stuff going on in Major League Baseball. Big contracts being handed out, opening day, and then a monumental move made by the league yesterday. You're going to have to hear what that was. Still, lots to get to here on Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle.